Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed and Alex are, are back in the house, and it took a while, but Cam Newton finally signed. When I looked at the team that he signed with, I started to worry. So what do you think about this match made in heaven, it seems like? Bill Belichick and the Patriots took a chance on the former MVP in, in Cam Newton. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I think I've definitely said it to somebody where I, I thought this was a perfect match, and I just thought the Patriots were just waiting to, to scoop this guy up. I mean, you know, this is this is just a perfect match for them. They get... You know, they were they were going to roll into the season with Jared Stidham, and, you know, the the Patriots have a great defense, and now they've just added a quarterback. I mean, they I, I think I think people are underestimating what Cam Newton can do in New England. I think, I mean, Cam Newton has been a great quarterback over his career. He's had some injury issues, but, I mean, you know, Bill, you give him Bill Belichick and you give him Josh McDaniels and you give him, you know, the Patriots, the Patriots offensive scheme and then you put him you know with that great defense and this is this is now the favorites for the AFC East the the Buffalo Bills just lost their spot all right let's pump the brakes a little bit Ed I know you're excited I get it but let's start with this question I've got a question for you do you think the Patriots have enough weapons on offense for Cam Newton to be successful I'm not saying that Cam Newton had a lot of weapons with the Panthers it's only recently that he got Christian McCaffrey. Before that, I mean, I wouldn't say that he had terrific wide receivers and a huge running game out there, but the Patriots are also lacking on the offensive side of the ball. On the offensive line, they're okay. I mean, they're fine. But on the outside, as far as wide receivers and tight ends, there's only Julian Edelman, and then the rest of the guys are are basically unknown right now. I, I still think the Patriots have gotten by for so many years with just speedy, small wide receivers and speedy, small running backs. And they've done it for so long, and it's worked. And so I can't argue with what's worked. Well, you, we've got to admit this. Cam Newton is not Tom Brady, all right? I mean, Cam Newton obviously led the Panthers to the Super Bowl in 2015. He captured the MVP award. It was a great season, but he hasn't been the same since then. And that's, we're going on four years now. If you look at his numbers, they've been on the decline. A lot of it has to do with with injuries, his playing style. He's a dual-threat quarterback. He's a power runner. He's not as elusive as... You know, some other guys out there like Michael Vick was or Lamar Jackson. Uh, Cam Newton is a power runner. He is head on. He's like a linebacker. I mean, he's going to take on those defenders. The injuries have piled up. And I just, I'm not sure. I realize that the Patriots are going to be creative and Josh McDaniels is going to design the offense around Cam Newton to take advantage of his running style. But he is not the same runner that he was three or four years ago. And we have to admit this, Ed. Cam Newton has never been the most accurate quarterback in the world. I, I understand all those things, but you know, you you give you give Cam Newton. I mean, there's a lot to work with with Cam Newton. I mean, he's a big quarterback. He's a quarterback who he can be steady on third down. He's he's definitely a guy who can you know convert for you. I mean, you're not asking this offense to put up Tom Brady numbers. You're not you're not asking for Tom Brady and his prime numbers. You're asking for him to do enough. I mean, even even in la- in Tom Brady's last year, I mean, this was a ball control game manager offense out of Tom Brady. And now you put Cam Newton in there, and I think you can get a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, I just think you're living in the past, Ed. Like I said, I, I'm not trying to be a party pooper here, but we're talking about you're talking about Cam Newton in the 2015 season. We're not talking about the present Cam Newton. I realize that he put out a, a great workout video, and he looks to be in the best shape of his life. He looks like he's healed from that injury, but 
a couple of hits in the NFL and Cam Newton is on the sideline because that's just you're not going to change his playing style and he's just he's broken down right now. I realize that he's got a chip on his shoulder. Nobody was willing to sign him and now, you know, he he signed for pennies on the on the dotted line. I mean, it's it's a travesty when when I see something like Chase Daniel, a backup quarterback in this league at best he signed a $13 million deal on a three-year contract. Cam Newton signs for, for less than $2 million. I get the, the incentives. I mean, it, it could be worth up to $7.5 million, but a lot of it has to, to fall into place for him to earn that paycheck. So it, it's interesting that the Chicago Bears didn't go after him, which is preposterous. I mean, they brought in Nick Foles to compete with Trubisky when it should have been Cam Newton. The Jaguars decided to bring Mike Glennon? Are you kidding me? I realize that he's going to be a backup to Garden Minshew, but Cam Newton could have been that guy vying for the starting spot with Gardner Minshew. So the Patriots, again, they, they lucked out. But it makes me question why so many teams passed on Cam Newton. I realize we have the pandemic. They weren't able to do physicals, and Bill Belichick is always willing to take that risk, and he, he's done well for himself. I mean, for every Antonio Brown debacle, there was a Randy Moss, uh, who was terrific during his couple of years with the Patriots. But I just think Cam Newton is not the same player that he once was, and you can't expect them to revert back to that 2015 season. Well, I, I just I agree to disagree. I think I think the more the more concerning part about the Cam Newton is the way he plays. I think you brought it up. I mean, if he gets hurt and then they have to roll with Jared Stidham, I think that's I think that's where you get the Patriots. I mean, that's really that's how the Patriots get beat this year. But other than that, I think I think they're. I think they're primed to go. I think I think Cam Newton has a resurgence in Josh McDaniels' offense. They're gonna tailor the offense so that he can do it. I think they're gonna simplify it for him, and I think I think this is a big year from the Patriots again. All right, like I said, the Patriots' offense struggled last year. Uh, I'm not living in some kind of illusion there. Tom Brady and that Patriots offense struggled last year. So if they can get something out of Cam Newton as far as his dual threat ability, obviously it's going to be interesting. Josh McDaniels actually had that with Tim Tebow a little bit when he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. He used that dual threat ability and, uh, you know, it worked out just fine. I mean, the the Broncos made it to the playoffs. Um, And um, I want to see how they're going to be able to, to design this offense around Cam Newton's uh, playing style. So it's a wait and see. So Ed believes that the Patriots are once again the favorites in the AFC East. And uh, if Cam Newton stays healthy, they're once again going to make that playoff push. Um, And I just, I just, I'm not buying it. I, I really am not. I mean, why did the other 31 teams pass on Cam Newton? Couldn't they agree on some kind well, of a deal Well, there, like there's this, one thing. There's one thing I, I just want to stop you there. There's this one thing you have to know is a lot of teams are saying, a lot of team fan bases are saying, and this is going around the internet. You know, why didn't our team sign Cam Newton as a backup? The reason why is because Cam Newton wanted to be a starter somewhere, and so the only place that was really going to give him a starting job was the Patriots. They were the only team that needed I, a starter. The Bears basically said when they brought in Nick Foles that it's an open competition with Foles and Trubisky. So it could have been the same thing with Cam Newton. Uh, he certainly would have beaten out Trubisky if he was healthy. I also feel like the Jaguars. I realize that they're committed to Gardner Minshew, but they could have had somebody like Cam Newton. If Minshew struggles in training camp, uh, they bring him in. So there are a few teams around the NFL. They, they've got worse QB situations than the Patriots. And I'm just – I'm always – I'm always kind of intrigued by this. But I, 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 I just the way I see it is, I think Bill Belichick kind of told Cam Newton. I think he told him months ago, if you're if you're healthy, we're going to sign you and you're going to be our guy. I think I think this has been planned for months. I think Cam Newton had plenty of leverage, and that's why he turned some teams down because he knew he could get this job in this position. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Ed is right because, I mean, it's, it's always fun to have the Patriots, you know, firing on all cylinders on, on defense and offense. And I hope Cam Newton brings a different dimension to this offense that we haven't seen for the past 20 years. So 
Who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll find out once again that Bill Belichick is a genius and Alex Kaptoff is wrong. Let's uh, go <laughs> with the preseason in the NFL. Uh, news came out that uh, the NFL has shortened its preseason. They went from four games to two games. They're taking away week one and week four. What do you think about this? I mean, is, th- is this a signal that season will get pushed back a little bit? Uh, what do you think? What implications will it have for, for the regular season? Yeah, I mean, a part of me when I first saw this headline was thinking, oh gosh, this is just the first domino to fall. You know, the first domino is, you know, we're going to take away the Hall of Fame game and then we're going to take away week one and week four of the preseason. I mean, what's the next domino to fall? Is is it week, is it, you know, are they just going to skip the whole preseason? Because for me, the preseason is really important. I, I, th- I think the preseason is, is really where, you know, you, you develop a lot of your young players and, you know, you give a chance to your sort of, you know, 54th to 90th man on the roster. You give them a chance to, to compete and win a job. And so um, I, I think this is, I think this is a, a, just, a, just as important as, as the regular season. I mean, granted, it's not the moneymaker you know the preseason isn't the money maker for the NFL that it is, and you know a lot of a lot of the money is going to rest on you know being able to play the regular season. But I would just hate to lose the preseason. I think I think it's really important that you know teams teams play plenty plenty of games before they get to their first game. I mean we've seen in previous years before the pandemic how it's how teams you know week one week two are just rusty. I agree. I agree. And I think we're going to see a lot of those teams. A lot of those teams that we saw in the playoffs last year, I think we're going to have a repeat of that, Ed, because, I mean, the more you have training camp, uh, the the new head coaches, you you need to gel with the new players and the new head coaches. And that's why I'm saying that teams that were in the playoffs last year, I think we we might see a repeat of that again, just teams that are bringing back their, their core. You know, I just think you mentioned it, actually. I mean, Undrafted rookies, late round picks, they're going to be hurt by this because they're not going to get a chance to, to showcase everything that they're made of. And the preseason games were designed for those young players mostly or veterans fighting for that job. And I just think teams are going to roll with the players that they had for previous years. And guys that are coming in this year, if you're not a high draft pick, if you're somewhere picked on day three or as an undrafted free agent, it will be a lot more difficult for you to, to make that impression with the front office and, and with the coaching staff. And I think those are the guys that are going to be hurt by this the most. Yeah, I, that, that, that just doesn't – I mean, I understand we're in a pandemic and we're, we're in different times. I mean, we've seen baseball be – I mean, totally – basically the season just be totally – you know, shortened and I mean, it's it's a little bit destroyed. I mean, it was it was definitely tough, but I mean, you know, the NFL is suffering definitely a less of a blow. But I just think I just think football is like a kind of a sport where you really need that preseason to just get in shape. But not only not only just to get in shape, but I mean, it's just. It's just, I mean, I, one of the things I like about football is that, you know, you get, you go into camp with 90 guys, and, I mean, if you get hurt, you're done, and, you know, you're going to add, you're going to add, you know, you know, maybe like 10 guys over the course of the training camp to see. So, I mean, really, there's like 100 guys, you know, who are competing for 53 spots. I mean, I feel like that's that's kind of part of the story of an NFL season is, is that, is that, um, is that competition? I mean, there's a reason why you know Hard Knocks is able to film inside these locker rooms. It's because you know there are, there is a segment of the fan base that really enjoys this process. It's just different this year, Ed. It's different. We're living in a different world right now as of today, and I think all the sports are trying to get back into it because they want it. To, to get back to normal life like basketball and baseball and college football and football. But we're never going to be living in the same life that we were, you know, six months ago before this pandemic started. It's just a different world that's here to stay, and we just have to accept it. And the fact is, this year, it's a lot more difficult to even get the season started. So the NFL is doing everything possible to bring it down. So, you know, we, we don't see as many people being infected because there's a lot that goes into this. I mean, it's 53 players on the roster. There's another 50 
60 guys that, that work for the franchise that need to be there as far as the coaching staff and the, the trainers and, and people in the front office. I mean, I, I just want to defend the fact that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a person who wears a mask. I'm taking this pandemic seriously. I just I just think that we, we, we need football. I mean, we need sports back. That's that's really, I mean, I think it's a more of a community thing. And I think if you if you do this right, if you quarantine the players right in you, part of sports is, you know, it's it's a little bit of the of the health mentally of the people, you know, and and so um, I'm not I'm not totally disagreeing with the NFL. I'm not totally disagreeing with the NFL. I understand I understand you got to keep the players safe and you got to keep the league safe and you you really got to keep people safe. And and I understand why they're doing this. It's just all I'm trying to say is this is a shame. We've got a guest on the line. We're joined by college football insider from Athlon Sports, Stephen Lassen. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. It's good to be on the podcast. I, I appreciate the, the opportunity, and what a crazy offseason this has been. Uh, I am keeping my fingers crossed that we will have a 2020 college football season. Tell us how this offseason was a little bit different for you. Obviously, at Athlon Sports, you guys released the, the magazine. You've got deadlines. Uh, tell us, how was it different this year? Yeah, you know, we go through – we start our magazine production process – in November at the end of one season. So when the bowl games are going on, we're already working on the next year's magazine. And so we were full steam ahead. And once we got to March and we started seeing the shutdowns, the cancellation of the NCAA tournament, you know, it made things a lot more difficult for us. There was just a void of spring practice information. We are used to seeing information on which freshmen are going to make you know, an impact. You, you, the spring games, I don't know that you can necessarily watch two spring games and say, you know, Team A is better than Team B, but you learn a lot of information throughout spring practice that we didn't have this year. You name it, quarterback battles, you know, the battle to start at the offensive line for Oregon this year. There was just a lot of information that we didn't have. And, of course, access to coaches and coordinators was a little bit more limited. So it was the hardest magazine that we had to put together um, at Athlon because it made it just not having information made some of our predictions very difficult. So, you know, we, we tried to do the best we can with the information and I hope that the product, you know, is, is still up to the quality that we're used to seeing. And, you know, I think in general, it's just a, we have to just kind of acknowledge it's just a very unusual uh, off season and potentially a very unusual season. So, like I said, the most difficult magazine we had to put together in my time at Athlon Sports. So right off the bat, we're going to put you on the spot. That's that's what Ed and I do here. Um, what is your what's your best guess? Gut feeling? Will we have a college football season this year? Man, I sure hope so. Um, l- let me start by saying, you know, college football is so important to the athletic departments as far as revenue goes. And the fact that it funds a lot of sports and just how valuable it is, it's, it's valuable to the local economies as well. So I think everything that can be done will be done to have a college football season. And I think I was a lot more optimistic uh, about two or three weeks ago, but the fact that we're seeing an increase in cases and we're seeing outbreaks on, you know, with teams coming together based upon what's happening in the surrounding area. I'm a little bit less optimistic, but I think what gives me optimism is that we still have time on our side. The fact that we have, you know, it's early July, we have another month or so before the official fall practice begins. If case numbers go down, if once teams are together and we're seeing fewer positive tests uh, among the teams, then I'll feel a little bit more optimistic. So I'm, I'm going to say, to, to answer your question directly, I think we will have a college football season in some form or fashion. It's not going to be like we're used to seeing. I could see it being shorter. I could see some games being canceled. But I think everything that can be done will be done to have a college football season and try to do it as safe as possible. Let's start with the SEC. Is Alabama the best team in college football? 
I don't think Alabama is the best team. I think they can be. I think Clemson is the best team in college football for 2020. But I really like this Alabama team. For starters, you look at the quarterback situation. Mac Jones played well at the end of last year and certainly had the interceptions against Auburn, but played well um, for the most part filling in for Tua. Offensive line, we've got rated as the best in college football. And sure, they lose a couple receivers, but Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, uh, and you add in Najee Harris in the deepest backfield in college football, they're going to be really good once again. And, you know, the X factor to me for Alabama is Dylan Moses at linebacker. You think about Nick Saban's defenses there. So many of them have had really, you know, outstanding interior linebacker play, kind of the quarterback of that defense. He was hurt last season, and you could tell they missed him uh, as far as assignments and run defense goes. So getting him back is significant. So I think Alabama is the best team in college, and best team in the SEC. And I think whether or not they can be the best team in the in college football is going to depend on how fast they reload in the secondary, how fast they find a couple edge rushers, and whether or not Mac Jones can elevate his play. Uh, in the big games down the road against Clemson or Ohio State. So I like Alabama in the playoff. I would still lean Clemson as the best team right now. What can we expect from LSU? Can new quarterback Miles Brennan lead them to the college football playoff? You know, I I think LSU is going to have its hands full. I mean, it's not just replacing Joe Burrow. They just lost so many other pieces, offensive line, rebuild, uh, you know, Edward Delaire is, it went to the Chiefs in the first round. You have Justin Jefferson, who's gone. New defensive scheme, Bo Pelini taking over as defensive coordinator. And, and you just, you know, you step back and LSU's season last year was maybe the greatest one-year run of any team in college football history. Joe Burrow's one season was certainly uh, the best one year by a quarterback. So the, the bar is set very high for LSU. And, and I think just with the personnel losses, uh, Miles Brennan, who I think can be a, a capable quarterback this year, I think it's a lot to ask. And not to mention, you throw in the game against Alabama, they got to go on the road to Texas A&M, they got to go on the road and play Florida. There's just more obstacles there. So I, I think LSU is a pretty solid 10 and 2 type team, New Year's 6 bowl caliber. I have a hard time uh, seeing them being picked ahead of Alabama this year, though. I'm a big fan of the Florida Gators this year, Stephen. I really am. I'm expecting big things from them because they surprised a lot of people last year by finishing in the top 10. Felipe Franks going down and Kyle Trask just, you know, having a great season out there. What do you think? Can this team take the next step? Can Dan Mullen win the SEC, and can he get to the college football playoff? I think I like Florida to win the SEC East this year over Georgia. Georgia's dominated this division the last couple of years, but you know I think the setup is there for Florida. The the fact that Georgia has a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, um, new offensive line, that's a lot of transition in this uncertain offseason. Florida has stability. Kyle, you mentioned Kyle Trask. I think he might be the SEC's best quarterback this season. You know, he was solid at the you know last season. Now that he has another full year to kind of grow into being the starting quarterback, and especially working under Dan Mullen, who I, I think is one of the best offensive minds in the nation. And I think that continuity is why I like Florida to win the SEC East this year. They do have some flaws. I mean. Their linebacker situation is a little iffy. Offensive line has to be better. But I just like that continuity of Mullen and Trask over Georgia's uncertainty. Whether or not they can make the playoff, I think it really hinges on what happens in Jacksonville against Georgia. If they win that game, I think there's a good chance they're undefeated going into the SEC championship game. And with a showdown against Alabama, that number four spot I think is wide open. I think there's a gap between the top three and the next tier in college football. So if Florida can get to the SEC championship game undefeated and either lose close to Alabama uh, or win, they got a good shot to be in. So I think they are absolutely a playoff contender, and a big reason why is, is Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen this year. 
Let's talk about another SEC team that looks intriguing on paper. It's uh, Jimbo Fisher's squad, Texas A&M Aggies. Can they be legitimate contenders? I mean, they have Kellen Mond, who's been there for so long. Do they have enough pieces around them in order to uh, surprise people this year in the SEC? You know, I think the best thing that Texas A&M has going for it is the schedule is a lot easier this year. They do not have to play Clemson. They do not have to play Georgia. Their schedule was very difficult last year. So they finished 8-5. and five. You know, It's hard to know how much better were they considering how difficult that schedule was year one to year two under Jimbo Fisher. You mentioned Kellen Mond. I think he is the key to the season because in games against the top teams in the SEC, he has to play better. And there certainly is a lot more experience around him this year. Uh, 16 total returning starters, one of the better receiving cores potentially in the SEC, four starters back uh, on the offensive line. So I like the overall direction uh, of Texas A&M, but I think a lot of it is going to hinge on Kellen Mond and whether or not he can take the next step. They host LSU uh, at the end of the year. They play Alabama and LSU back-to-back in November, which is just brutal. But if they can beat LSU, second place in the SEC West is there for the taking. So I think I put Texas A&M in that top 10 to 15 type conversation. We're going to learn a lot about Jimbo Fisher, kind of where this program is this season now that he has an experienced roster, third year, and a much more favorable schedule. So we talked about – you know, Florida maybe being the team in the East beating Georgia, but uh, who do you think who do you think is going to represent the West, and who do you think the teams will be in the SEC championship game? I like Alabama in the West. I, I think certainly, you know, the door is open there because you know we we mentioned Alabama. They have some some losses in the secondary, you know, outside linebacker, and of course the big quarterback question: Can Mac Jones continue to improve? You know, the door is open for for A and M or, or LSU. I just think this is the Nick Saban revenge tour. They missed the playoff for the first time uh, since the inception of the college football playoff. That offensive line and running game is going to be really tough to stop. So I like Alabama to come out of the West, and I think Florida out of the East. I, I think Alabama, uh, we talked about it, is is right there with Clemson, one, two, or three in the nation. So I like the Crimson Tide to get back to the SEC championship game and win it this time. So moving kind of out west, uh, will the USC Trojans be better in 2020? Are they a top 15 team? I mean, some people are calling them that. Yeah, I, I think they have potential. Um, the the problem is, you know, how much faith do you put in Clay Helton? Um, you know, this is a program that has shown some signs of life at times under Sam Darnold. Uh, the last couple years, not so good. And at USC, the expectation level is not 8-5. and five. It is Pac-12 championships. It is contending for the top five and top ten. So the pressure is on. I like what he did with the coaching staff this offseason, bringing in Graham Harrell the year before and the development of Keaton Slovis uh, under Graham Harrell. Um, you know, he's already, Keaton Slovis is already one of the top quarterbacks in college football. So I, I think they are a team – that you could kind of classify them as a wild card. Um, they have a lot of talent on the roster. There's no doubt about that. One of the best quarterbacks. The question is whether or not that offensive line will hold up and the defense. The defense has to play better, has to kind of play up to its talent level. So I, I think they are a sleeper. I, we've got them just outside our, our top 15 and, and closer to 20. But if you told me they finished in the top 15 or so, I wouldn't be surprised. The talent is there. The question is whether or not it all comes together this season. Can Helton survive this season if USC doesn't get to the Pac-12 championship game? You know, that's a great question. And I say that because I think we may have a quiet coaching carousel this year, largely because of the pandemic. I think the fact that we've seen a lot of programs cutting back, we've seen coaches taking um, you know furloughs and salary cuts. 
I don't know how much appetite there's going to be to make a coaching change. And if USC is just, you know, a top 25 team this year, I think that's probably good enough for him to come back. I think if there's a five and seven, six and six type of season, even with everything going on, it will be hard for USC to keep Clay Helton. So I think a lot of it could depend on just how this season plays out as far as games and, and revenue for, for USC. But he is certainly on the hot seat. He's done some good coaching changes, uh, but this year and next season, he's really going to have to prove it or otherwise USC is going to make a change. So going, staying in the Pac-12, is Oregon the favorite to win the Pac-12? I think they are, and I think they they are a, you know, I wouldn't say heavy favorite, but I think the gap between Oregon and the next team is pretty significant. You know, certainly Oregon has question marks at the quarterback position. Who replaces Justin Herbert? They have four new starters on the offensive line. Panay Sewell, the left tackle, uh, you could argue is one of the top five players in the nation, and there's really not much doubt about it. So they have some some new pieces on offense. But what gives me some confidence is the arrival of Joe Moorhead as offensive coordinator, uh, coming over after being the head coach at Mississippi State, successful tenure as the offensive coordinator at Penn State. I think that alleviates some of the concern about the new pieces. And what's what's interesting to me about Oregon is when we think about Oregon, we think about offense, but it's actually their defense this year. Their defense is going to be one of the best in college football. Uh, every position group, defensive line, linebackers, defensive backs, uh, among the best in the nation. So I think Oregon is the favorite largely because of their defense. And also, you know, we talked about USC. There's just a lot of question marks this year in the Pac-12. So I think the, the certainty of Oregon and the foundation they have under Mario Cristobal makes them the favorite this year. Yeah, Oregon's secondary just looks awesome on paper, and, and those guys have accomplished a lot. And I think the Utes are, are going to bound to take a step back. What do you think about Cal? Are, are you there with me? Because Cal has been getting better each and every year with Justin Wilcox at, at, at the helm. Can, can Cal surprise in the Pac-12? I think they can. I, I like them as the second-best team in the division. I think it's pretty remarkable how much this defense has improved under Justin Wilcox. I mean, they were giving up, you know, 38 you know points a game a season, and they've cut that total to 22 in just a couple years. I mean, Justin Wilcox has, has been phenomenal in developing this defense. And you, you, you kind of start thinking, like, what can Cal do to catch Oregon? Well, you look at their schedule, they host Oregon. They host Washington this year. There is a chance to to break through or surprise, but it really hinges on offensive development. Receivers, they've got to get better play out of Chase Garbers, and he has to stay healthy. When he stays healthy, you know, I think Cal was 7-0 last year in games that he started and played all the way through. Cal doesn't need to be drastically better on offense but they just need to be a little bit better because their defense should be good once again. So I, I like Cal as a sleeper. We've got them just outside the top 25. Would not be surprised if they kind of, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, sneaks their way into the top 25 if the offense takes a step forward this year. So moving over to the to the Big Ten, is Justin Fields the type of quarterback that could win a national championship with the Buckeyes? Absolutely. Yeah, I think when you look at Ohio State this season, the the big question for the Buckeyes in getting to the national championship game is what happens on defense. They, you know, losing Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, uh, you know, some other pieces, they're, they're going to be in rebuild mode. And of course, they Ohio State has a lot of good players, and, and of course, the way at level they recruit, but that group on defense is going to be under construction. But there's really not much of a concern for Ohio State because they have Justin Fields and because they have one of the nation's best uh, you know, receiving cores and offensive line. So they're in really good shape. They they do have to play at Oregon and at Penn State, so they will be tested. But when you think about top quarterbacks, players that can carry a team to the national championship, to me that's Justin Fields. He was outstanding last year, not a lot of mistakes, and, of course, his mobility, and you add in his growth as a passer, I think he's right there, one or two 
in that in kind of your overall top players coming back to college football this season? Can Penn State take down Ohio State this year? I mean, I I anticipate that Minnesota is going to take a step back, but it looks like Penn State is is primed, especially on defense. Yeah, I think Penn State is kind of a wild card to get to the college football playoff because you can envision a scenario where they either lose close to Ohio State um, or beat Ohio State and get to 12-0, 11-1, win the Big Ten, and maybe we're talking about two teams from the Big Ten in the college football playoff. I, I just like the trajectory under James Franklin. They've won 11 games in you know three out of the last four years. Won the Big Ten. They beat Ohio State before at home. Getting them in Happy Valley is huge again. I think for, for Penn State to take that next step and beat Ohio State this year, it comes down to a couple things. They had the new offensive coordinator, Kirk Sharaka, comes over from Minnesota. He When he was at Minnesota last year, they carved up Penn State's defense. So James Franklin clearly liked uh, what he saw to, to hire him as offensive coordinator. I think he can help Sean Clifford take the next step at quarterback. They've got an experienced offensive line, deep group of running backs, and their defense is solid. So I, I don't know if Penn State has the kind of elite you know roster that Ohio State has. They pace them in recruiting rankings. But the fact they get them in Happy Valley, and if they're better on offense this year, I think Penn State's definitely a top-10 team, and I think they could be a spoiler uh, in Ohio State's season if they can beat them in Happy Valley. Stephen, when Jim Harbaugh arrived at Michigan, there were high expectations. People were thought that they were going to win a national championship in three or four years. That hasn't happened, obviously. No Big Ten title, no college football playoff. He hasn't even beaten Ohio State during his tenure. What do you think of, of Michigan prospects this year, and can Harbaugh survive this season? I think he can. You know, Jim, Jim Harbaugh's won nine or ten games in four out of his five years at Michigan. And I think Michigan is more nationally relevant than they have been uh, under Jim Harbaugh than they were under Brady Hoke or Rich Rodriguez. So there has been some progress there. But you're right. They, they haven't beaten Ohio State, and they haven't they, won, they haven't won the Big Ten East, and they haven't won the conference title. So there is a missing piece there for Jim Harbaugh that he needs to fill in. And and I think you look at this team for this season, the biggest question mark starts at quarterback. Dylan McCaffrey um, and, and Joe Milton, two very talented quarterbacks. And this sort of underscores the, the problem for Michigan. You look at Ohio State, they've had Justin Fields. They've had Dwayne Haskins. They've had JT Barrett. Michigan's had Shea Patterson, who was solid, Jake Rudock. Michigan needs to find that elite talent at quarterback to help them take the next step. They've had a good roster. The NFL draft, you've seen how many guys Michigan had. Michigan can compete in the the Big Ten, but they've got to find a difference maker at quarterback, and that's where the question starts this season. They open with Washington, a tough uh, non-conference game. But I think for the most part, Michigan, with a good defense, they've got some good skill talent. They look like an an 8-9 win type of team for me. I just I think Penn State and Ohio State are still ahead of them. And I think in the bigger conversation, if you're Michigan, I really don't know who you could go get that would be better than Jim Harbaugh at this point. So it, the pressure is definitely building to beat Ohio State and, and the noise around the program. But I think as long as Michigan keeps winning nine or ten games, it's going to be hard to find someone else who can do a better job at Michigan. Harbaugh should give a call to to Tom Brady. Maybe he still has eligibility <laughs> left. <laughs> it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. Yeah, no, I was I was just gonna say on, on Brady. Is it you know? I just it's always amazing to me just you know how you know when you think about his college career at Michigan. Just you know, you didn't think he would be you know maybe the greatest quarterback in NFL history. It's just, it's funny how that works out. So I mean, like like we said. Harbaugh's got to find his guy. But, yeah, give a call to Brady and see if he can get, get another year of eligibility this year, especially if the NFL season doesn't happen. <laughs> Absolutely. It was it was Brian Greasy. He was the next big thing. And then it was Henson, right, the, the guy who came back from the New York Yankees to, to play at Michigan. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that Brady was always underappreciated at Michigan, but all he did was win when, when he was on the field. But even – even the Wolverines just didn't recognize that talent that he had. 
Yeah, it's it's funny how it all worked out. And, and you mentioned Drew Henson there, and you know guys like John Navarre came through the program. And 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 as we're you know we're talking here, it just it sort of underscores kind of what what Michigan has to do. I mean, they've got to find that difference maker at quarterback. I mean, is you know is even though Brady wasn't the the, the all Big Ten type of quarterback, you know they, they for for Michigan in their recruiting and this Harbaugh as a quarterback guru. Uh, that's the position that they've got to figure out this year. So I, I will be very interested to see how that quarterback battle plays out because McCaffrey and Milton are very talented, and they could fit the offense better than Shea Patterson. Uh, they're just not going to have a lot of time this offseason to get up to speed and battle for the position. What kind of year will Trevor Lawrence have? I mean, is he going to be able to take him back to the national championship for the third year in a row? I think so. I, I think we, you know, Trevor Lawrence definitely had an up and down 2019 season. Um, there was kind of a rocky start. Um, the expectation level after winning the national championship as a true freshman uh, was sky high. And so I, I think now with the off season and the reset that he's had, I think we'll see a different Trevor Lawrence. And, and he was playing uh, a lot better at the end of last season. You know, a couple question marks for Clemson that they have to answer around him. Justin Ross, their top receiver, is out for the year. They have talent at receiver, but who steps up? This was a question at times last year. Now they have Braden Galloway, a tight end, who was suspended for most of last season, getting back to attacking the middle of the field and, and not having to press to take the big play. I think is something that Lawrence is continuing to work on. They also have four new starters on the offensive line. Really not much of a concern because Clemson's probably not going to be tested during the regular season, but that is something down the road in the playoff. You know, who steps up at receiver? How does the offensive line fare? But as far as what Trevor Lawrence is going to do this season, I think he's going to have another big-time uh, year, and, and it's one of the reasons why I think Clemson is, is probably the favorite to win it all this year. So it's a it's a shoe-in, obviously, that Clemson is going to play in the ACC championship game unless something unforeseen happens. And But I'm curious about the Coastal Division. I really am. I think there's going to be a good battle there. And it seems like Mac Brown brought a lot of energy to that fan base second time around, something that he did first time around. He also had success, obviously, with he, at UNC. What do you think? Are, are the Tar Heels the favorite in the Coastal Division? I think so. I, I think just it's it's worth re, you know kind of re, reminding uh, folks that the, the coastal division has had seven different teams win the division in seven years. So if you need any idea of how chaotic, how strange this division is, that stat kind of sums it up. But I, I think for North Carolina, you know, Matt Brown, I I was surprised when North Carolina brought him back. I was kind of skeptical. It was going to work out. And last season, North Carolina was significantly better on both sides of the ball. The win column, you know, they improved their win total by five games from the previous year. Not to mention, you know, just statistically, I mean, defense, offense, a lot better. The six losses that they had were very close. So you could see with Sam Howe, who had an outstanding freshman season at quarterback, converting some of those close losses into wins this year. And I think that's a big reason why I like North Carolina. They've got the division's best quarterback. Mac Brown is clearly pushing the right buttons there. And, and North Carolina's always recruited well, but they're really adding some talent the last couple classes. And, and so I, I think with the, the game against Virginia Tech being in Chapel Hill, I think that's the, the, the game that decides the division. And I think the fact that Mac Brown has the division's best quarterback, I think that's why North Carolina uh, wins the division and gets a shot at Clemson, a team they played pretty well uh, in, in 2019. So we talked about Lawrence. We talked about Fields. We talked about Slovis. Does Howell deserve to be in the conversation? Because, I mean, he looks like he's primed to take that next step forward and be one of those great college football quarterbacks. I think so. I, I think when you, if you were to rank the top quarterbacks coming back in college football this season, Sam Howell to me is the third best quarterback. I have Sam Ellinger fourth with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence one and two. Sam Howell was just so impressive uh, as a true freshman last year. 
and he, I think he can be even better this season. He's got a full off season to work with offensive coordinator Phil Longo. You add in two receivers who went over a thousand yards last year, weapons at running back. This offense, now that they've had another year to get more comfortable, I think North Carolina is going to put up even bigger numbers. So I think Sam Howe's development will continue, and I think that's a big reason why you know we'd like the Tar Heels to win the division. I think just think Sam Howe's ready to be one of the nation's best quarterbacks. So going over to the to the Big Twelve, there's kind of a quarterback battle. Uh, who do you think will win the Sooners' job? Will it be Spencer Radler or Tanner Mordecai? I think Spencer Rattler wins the job. Uh, coming out of high school, big-time prospect, one of the top quarterbacks in, in the nation coming out of high school. And it, it's interesting to to look at Lincoln Riley's track record. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield, a, a transfer, w- goes to New York, wins the Heisman Trophy, leads Oklahoma to the playoff. Kyler Murray, another transfer, wins the Heisman, leads him to the playoff. Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, leads Oklahoma to the playoff, comes up a little bit short for the Heisman Trophy. But that's the standard now at Oklahoma. It's that Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12. They'll lose a game along the way, but they'll make the college football playoff. The quarterback is going to put up huge stats, and he's probably going to be in contention to win the Heisman Trophy. I mean, Spencer Rattler, already one of the favorites to, to win it this year. So the expectation level is really high uh, for Spencer Rattler, but the talent is there, the offensive scheme, potential, what Lincoln Riley has done the last few years. I I think he's going to be a breakout star this season. I I am interested to see what Oklahoma does at receiver because they're losing CeeDee Lamb. They've had some injuries there. But overall, it's hard for me to see Oklahoma's offense taking a step back this year. With all due respect to Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts and possibly Spencer Rattler, if you plug me in at quarterback at Oklahoma in that scheme, <laughs> I think I win the Heisman. I, honestly, I, I think with all that talent that they have there, I, I'm betting on myself, Stephen. I, I really am. Um, I, I, th- I think you might be on to something there. That scheme is pretty prolific, um, and, and Lincoln Riley is just so sharp. I mean, and, you, and you could see it when he was offensive coordinator at East Carolina and when he was at Oklahoma. I mean, he just gets it. And his his scheme, the, the fact that Oklahoma is so good at scheming receivers to be wide open all the time, I mean, I, I'm with you. I may not have the arm strength of a Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, but when some of those receivers are, are running wide open, I think I could hit a lot of them and put up some good stats. So I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, we're on the same page here. What are we to think of the Longhorns? Uh, last year, they, they struggled. It was, they had an 8-5 and five season. I don't think that's what people anticipated out of them because the expectations were higher than that. Uh, what are we to expect this year from the Texas Longhorns? I think the good thing for Texas is they have Sam Ellinger. He's one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and he gives them a chance to win every Saturday. He's the, the difference maker. Um, you know, he, you look every year right around four to five, six hundred yards rushing the thirty touchdowns last year, thirty-two touchdowns through the air. He gives them a chance to win every week. Tom Herman hit the reset button on his staff this offseason. New coordinators several new assistant coaches. Uh, it's clearly an effort to get this program back on track. And, you know, you look at his tenure so far, I, I kind of think Texas may have overachieved in 2018 and underachieved last year. They had a ton of injuries, though, a lot of turnover from 2018 to 2019, and that makes it difficult to figure out just where they are. I mean, they have 16 returning starters, one of the best quarterbacks in college football, but I think they're really hard to gauge just where they are as a program based upon the, you know, the three seasons under Tom Herman, the, you know, the, the coaching changes this offseason as well. So I am very interested to see how this plays out for Texas. I think when you, you break down the Big 12, it starts with Oklahoma. They're the best team in the conference. But that second spot, is it Oklahoma State? Is it Texas? Is it Iowa State? That's the debate. That was the debate for us. Um, I, I think Texas will be better. I just I look at their schedule and I see the road dates at LSU, 
um, against Oklahoma State and, of course, the neutral site game against Oklahoma, it's hard for me to see them winning all of those. But if they beat Oklahoma State at the end of the year, that game might be the second, might decide the second team into the Big 12 championship game. So, you know, I, I think it's not a make or break year for Tom Herman unless they finish six and six, but there definitely needs to be some improvement in 2020. It sounds like you are pulling in the direction of the Cowboys or the Cyclones, right, in this conversation. So you don't think that Texas is number two. Do you think it's Oklahoma State or Iowa State? Yeah, I think if, as far as Texas goes, you know, it's it's one of those things. We've, we've been burned by them before by picking them high, and it's almost, you know, okay, prove it to us this year. Um, I think we're a little skeptical uh, about where they are. But I think there's not much separating these teams. The second place team is probably going to be six and three, maybe seven and two, nine wins in the Big 12. I think all three of those teams can get there. For Oklahoma State, it is offensive firepower. Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, an experienced defense that needs to get better. They get both Iowa State and Texas at home. For Iowa State, Brock Purdy. Uh, I think underrated nationally as far as where he falls in the quarterback hierarchy. And their defense has been consistently good the last two or three years. So I I think it's close. I think we're kind of hedging a little bit on Texas because of history. I like Oklahoma State to finish second because of schedule and experience, but it's really close between these three. Let's talk about first-year head coaches. Who is – first-year head coach that you feel will have the most success this season? You know, I think the the first-year head coach that I'm most interested in is going to be Mike Norvell at Florida State. Um, Florida State, 18-20 and 20 over the last three years, and I will be very interested to see just how quickly he can get Florida State um, back into, you know, either a, a bowl game, eight wins. Uh, just interested to see how much progress this program makes this offseason and, and into next year. You know, Dave Aranda at Baylor is fascinating because he inherits a team that played for the Big 12 championship game last year, was a successful defensive coordinator from LSU, a couple other spots. Um, I will be, I'll be interested to see with so many losses on defense, how does this program reload? And especially under a new coach, with not a lot of time uh, to prepare this year. So I'm keeping my eye on those two. Jimmy Lake at Washington is another one. Very highly regarded, been a successful defensive coordinator, great recruiter, uh, but a lot of offensive question marks for Washington this season. And, and I think one, once you go outside the um, the Power Five, I, I would keep my eye on Sean Clark at Appalachian State, a very loaded team coming back a team that has won the Sun Belt the last two years, I could easily see them winning it again this year. I'm curious where you stand on, on the Mississippi schools. Obviously, Lane Kiffin at Old Miss and, and Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Which team will have more success in their first year? I like Ole Miss to have more success this year. I, I think for starters, the transition from what Ole Miss was doing last year to Lane Kiffin's offense is probably going to be a little bit easier than Mike Leach switching from a spread to the air raid offense and not having the offseason could really hurt Mississippi State. K.J. Costello, the transfer quarterback from Stanford, stepping in as the starter. And that offense, you have to be so good at timing, repetition. Um, There's a lot of kind of transition and, you know, uh, that not having that offseason could really hurt Mississippi State. The game between those two is in Oxford this year. And Ole Miss also gets Vanderbilt, who I think is the worst SEC team this year. So I think when you're trying to gauge win totals, that swings it for me in favor of Ole Miss. Just an easier transition and a better schedule. SMU had a great year last year. They started off 8-0. They finished the season 10-3. and Sonny Dykes is is doing his thing again at, at a non-Power 5 school. Who is that non-Power 5 school that will surprise everyone this year, Stephen? You know, I think there are a couple of candidates. The first one to me is UAB. 
UAB, uh, you know, pretty remarkable story, went from not having a team to three consecutive bowl games and, you know, winning the West Division in Conference USA in back-to-back years. Outstanding defense, very underrated. Their two best players on offense, the quarterback, Tyler Johnston, and their running back, Spencer Brown, were injured last year. Conference USA, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in the East. I think UAB is clearly the best team. They get a shot to play Miami early in September. If they could pull off the upset, if they could keep it close, um, there's a path there to a, to double-digit wins and being in the conversation to be that top group of five teams. So I would keep my eye on UAB. I would also watch out for Buffalo, who I think is the best team in the MAC. Uh, great running game, Jarrett Patterson, maybe one of the nation's more underrated uh, players. And I, I would also say we mentioned Appalachian State. I keep my eye on Louisiana. Uh, they get a shot against a Power Five team in non-conference play. If they can beat App State, which they haven't done over the last two years when they've won the division, you know Louisiana's got a got potential to be there in the top 25 at the end of the year, much like. App State has done and being in that conversation to be the top group of five team. All right, so we'll we'll keep an eye on those teams if we do have a season. Uh, please give us a couple of teams that you feel are flying under the radar right now that not many people are talking about. I am really interested in Arizona State this year. Uh, Jaden Daniels, the freshman quarterback, had a breakout year last season. And Arizona State is basically putting the ball in his hands as a sophomore and going to build the offense around him. Herm Edwards has done a great job in two years. I I am surprised how well this has worked out. But with a sophomore quarterback like Jaden Daniels, we've mentioned the uncertainty at USC, the turnover at Utah. I I could see Arizona State being a sleeper team in in the Pac-12 uh, this year, it, it would not surprise me if USC stumbles, if Arizona State maybe represents the uh, the Pac-12 South in the conference championship game. I think when you look outside of that, you know, I, I'm really interested in TCU. We talked about Baylor and we talked about the Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas trio. TCU has stumbled a bit the last couple years. Uh, Gary Patterson, usually very good on defense, but I like the sophomore quarterback in Max Duggan. Can he continue to progress? And maybe TCU is the sleeper team um, out of the Big 12 this year. And and one other wild card I would watch, I would watch out for Louisville. I I think the offense that Scott Satterfield is building there is going to be dynamic once again this season. They were significantly improved from the previous year and a lot of firepower coming back. We've got Louisville finishing outside the top 25, but wouldn't surprise me if they kind of sneak in there at the back end with a tight nine-win season this year. These are kind of our last questions, the kind of bigger questions. Um, who are your top three for the Heisman? I mean, it's impossible to pick who will win at this point, but who, who are your top three right now? Big surprise for you guys. I think Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are <laughs> one and two in some order. <laughs> um, you know, there, there, there is, I, I will say, there's there's an interesting discussion about the Heisman because you know Trevor Lawrence with Travis Etienne coming back as well. You know, could they take away you know votes at the end of the year? You know, maybe there's too there's almost too many good players for Clemson, whereas Justin Fields, he could really carry Ohio State. They also have a tougher schedule. The Oregon, uh, Penn State, you know, they could certainly play Michigan. They could play Wisconsin or Minnesota in the Big Twelve in the Big Ten championship game. So I, I would not be surprised if Justin Fields wins it. I think those Fields and Lawrence are your top two. I will throw out a wild card for number three because I think there are a lot of good running backs with Etienne, Najee Harris, Chuba Hubbard, but I'm going to throw out Panay Sewell, the left tackle from Oregon. Uh, you look at his numbers from an advanced analytics standpoint, just dominant. Uh, you know, the best lineman in college football. I know it's a little wild cardish. I, I know he's not going to win the Heisman Trophy, 
But you know, I'm always a, kind of a fan of giving defensive players and offensive linemen a little bit of love and Heisman consideration because his, his dominance at that position uh, is head and shoulders above the rest in college football. So a little bit of a wild card I'll throw in there. Penesul at number three. Also would throw out to Derek Stingley, the cornerback from LSU, really outstanding uh, as a freshman last year and, and only going to get better as a sophomore. That was a curveball with Sewell. I mean, I didn't <laughs> yeah. expect that. I thought you were you might have picked somebody like Micah Parsons or something like that, a linebacker from Penn State, just because he is all over the field and he impacts the game and in a number of ways in terms of sacks, tackles for losses, fumbles. He is going to have a lot of you know tackles this year. He is the leader of that defense, so... Yeah, I was I was thinking maybe you were going to go in that direction and say, hey, he's going to be that Charles Woodson for me this year. I, I, I could see that. You know, Parsons, I think Parsons, I mean, there was talk he might actually return a kick or two this year. So, I mean, you know, you talk about difference makers, a guy that, you know, had over uh, 10 tackles for loss last season, the type of impact that he made in the bowl game against uh, against Memphis yeah, I could totally see Micah Parsons. So I, I was trying to be a little bit different because you know everybody picks quarterbacks and running backs, and sometimes it's nice to give a little bit of love to the big guys up front because they're so important. I mean, I, I love I love your picks. It's just uh, it's just a problem of it. Just seems like they always seem to take quarterbacks and running back and maybe running backs nowadays. And so I mean, I, I'm hoping you know as writers we can we can kind of push for you know more positions because there are great players on other sides of the ball. And you know, and Dominican Sue made a run at the Heisman Trophy, and you mentioned Charles Woodson as well. It's it is a quarterback driven award, and that and Sam Ellinger, Keaton Slovis, Sam Howe, they're all going to be in the mix to win the award. But you know, I think sometimes just the the positional importance of a left tackle, a dominant middle linebacker, a shutdown cornerback, uh, I think are underrated as far as the conversation as far as who is the best player so that's why I always try to include one of those two it, it it's going to be a long shot you know certainly Fields and Lawrence and the quarterbacks coming back this year are just you know they're going to put up the big numbers for the best team so um, it, it is a long shot but I, I hope at some point the conversation changes a little bit and we start to see more of those guys at least make it to New York. I hope they throw to Sewell a couple of times. I know they did that in the past. I mean, if they throw to him, like, you know, in those red zone situations, he'll be that tight end or that eligible tackle or maybe running it from the fullback position. He's certainly athletic enough. Hey, I am all for that. And, and you know, you mentioned, um, you know, different positional usage. You know, Derek Stingley, the cornerback at LSU, you know, there's some talk that he might play receiver next season, but – Hey, let's throw him out there this year. Let's get him out there in the open field a couple times from Miles Brennan. Uh, it, it, the, 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 those players like Sewell and Stingley, they need a, you know, I hate to say it, but like Heisman moment to jump on to the radar. You know, it, it, average voter is just going to check the quarterback, the running back, or receiver. But it, to understand the dominance at that position, they need a couple highlight plays. And that's why guys like Parsons and Stingley and, you know, the, the usage of Sewell, as you mentioned, uh, the, they can help get those guys on the radar. Kind of just a follow up question. I just maybe I'm being a little bit of a homer here, but I mean, could could you could you see a scenario where Kyle Trask is you know in the Heisman conversation? Yeah, I think so. Uh, largely because you know it is a quarterback driven award, and if he ends up being the best quarterback in the SEC, which I think he can, um, that will mean he has good numbers, and that will also mean that Florida is in the conversation to to win the SEC and go to the playoff. I think as far as quarterback hierarchy, you know, he would be in that second tier. I think you have Lawrence and Fields, Howe, Ellinger, Slovis. Um, I think Shane Buchel is also one of the top, you know, 10 to 15 quarterbacks. It is a bit of a long shot for Kyle Trask, but that's the path. It's Florida uh, is in the playoff. They win the SEC and it's largely because of him putting up big numbers, which is certainly very possible. So I, I would say I would not pick him to go to New York, but if you told me at the end of the year he finished in the top you know, six to seven um, based upon the scenario that we talked about, yeah, I, I could see it. Well, nobody saw Joe Burrow winning it you know, when, when the season started, and I think Trask can have that same impact because I think 
Mullen is, is going to give him a little, is kind of going to unleash him a little bit more. He'll let him throw more balls in the intermediate and deep ball range, something that he didn't do as a junior. I, I just think Trask is going to be definitely unleashed a little bit this year, and I think he's going to have a little bit more freedom, especially considering his his story and where he came from and how he hasn't been a starting quarterback since his freshman year of high school. Yeah, it's a really remarkable story. I mean, you know, the fact he was, didn't start all that much and was a backup in high school. Then he goes to Florida and gets injured and had to fight through that. And then Felipe Franks, uh, you know, is lost for the season. Kyle Trask is thrown in there on the road against Kentucky and, you know, ends up leading Florida to, to a New Year's Six bowl game. So, uh, I think trying to find the next Joe Burrow is going to be one of those fun off-season question marks. Uh, you know, is it Kyle Trask? Is it Sean Clifford uh, at Penn State? Is it Miles Brennan? Uh, that's that's going to be something now that every off-season I'm going to run through my head because man, we all probably missed on Joe Burrow being uh, the having the greatest one-year uh, season by any quarterback in college football history. So the last question we're going to put you on the spot: Who is your pick to be the national champion? Brace yourself, guys. I've got Clemson winning it all. Uh, I know <laughs> all right. it's a big surprise. Uh, I just think, you know, Lawrence, ETN, the track record for Clemson, uh, it's hard to pick against them. The schedule is very favorable. We know their defense is going to be good. So I like Clemson at one. I've got Alabama two, Ohio State three, and I will take Oklahoma at four. I don't know that Oklahoma is the number four team as far as team strength goes, but I think we've seen the path. They lose once and then win the Big 12 championship, and that gets them to the college football playoff. But there is a big gap in my mind between the top three and the next tier of teams. Steven, thank you for the comprehensive college football preview. We're feeling a lot smarter at the end of this whole thing, so (laughs) we, we really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, guys, and let's all be optimistic and hopeful that we get a 2020 season in, and, and hopefully we can all we can do this again soon. I enjoyed being on your show. Why don't you tell our listeners where we can uh, find your uh, your work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Athlonsports.com, our website, if you go to the very top, there's a link to buy the magazine to our online store. You can pick up the digital copy this year as well. So if you're uh, interested in the SEC magazine or the national magazine, we can ship both of those uh, to you from our online store. Our website as well, com. We've got college football content and coverage every day from you know now until the start of the season and in the off season. So please check out the magazine and please check out the website, com. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care.